welcome to the P4C podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 14 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2015, Holiness. We now join Daniel Kavanaugh for today's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged. Most of you who know me well know that I have a, a full-time job, and so preparing, of course, Dad does as well, so for preparing for messages like this uh, has to be done over a course of time, and um, you know, weeks, even a couple months, and I can tell you right now, as I've been studying this scripture, and these scriptures that we're going to look at and going over these, I have been greatly challenged and convicted, um, and so as we learn or look at this passage, we are learning together and growing together in this, because I think what is said here in Romans 12 uh, is, is key to uh, growing and knowing what it means to be transformed uh, and made like Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer again. I want to beseech the Lord for His mercy and His grace as we uh, pursue this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for all that has happened. Lord, as we have sung already, come behold the wondrous mystery. And that's what we want to do now. We want to behold the mystery of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what He compels us to do. And Lord, we want to confess that we need You. Every hour, we need You. This moment, we need You. As we look at the Word of God and I pray now for each one here that the Spirit of God would strip away anything right now that would hinder them from hearing what you want them to hear. Father, I pray that you would remove anything that I say that is not true, and may they only hear the Word of God. Lord, we dedicate this time to you, we commit it to you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you find yourself, whether currently or at some point in your life, living in frustration with your Christian walk or even subsequent growth as you walk with the Lord? Have there, any of you ever been frustrated? I just group participation here, okay. <laughs> We've all experienced frustration. We can't seem to get over the hump can't seem to attain. Philippians, we read that passage, or together quoted that passage. Paul says, not that I have already attained, because I haven't yet, but I'm seeking to apprehend Christ as He has apprehended me. We find the Christian life frustrating, do we not? How many of you feel like you do not see growth in personal holiness and therefore that progressive transformation in your life each day? You hear sermons about it, you read books about it, but nothing sometimes seems to click or, or stay. Maybe right now you're tired of trying to live the Christian life. You never seem to make progress in your spiritual growth. You never seem to walk consistently in that area of sin in your life. Maybe you're just humming along in the doldrums of, of everyday Christian life. It's just... Same thing every day. 
You don't seem to be going backwards, nor do you seem to be going forwards. Or maybe you're the one who is experiencing, it's quite possible, complete joy and satisfaction in your Christian walk. Maybe you're that person. But no matter where you are, all of us, at some point, have experienced frustration on our walk with Christ. And if you haven't, stick around. You will. You will ask God, why? I don't understand. This makes no sense. Frustration. The text before us clearly deals with the root of this frustration and the reasonable solutions to our common problem that arises often in the Christian life. Romans as a whole, if you were to study this book in depth, should be a book that you land and spend excessive amounts of time in. It is, a, it is full of sound theology and most assuredly will set your thinking on a solid foundation and your feet on a straight path. A brief look at the book of Romans sets the context that we find ourselves in. You see, Paul is writing to the Romans whom he has never met at this point. But he loves them. He cares for them. He knows they need to know more of Christ. With a strong desire to come and visit them and a love and concern for their spiritual well-being, this is what's motivating Paul. In fact, he reminds them that their faith is well known. If you were to read chapter 1, verse 8, and this suggests that the Christian faith has been established there for some time. They've been going for a while. They've been walking the Christian walk. Leaving us with an important note that none of us are above the need for sound teaching. He is also addressing a mixed group of people here, which contains both Gentiles and Jews alike. And you see, Romans is a, is a thesis of the Christian faith. A theological primer. And addresses clearly any Jewish traditions or pagan Gentile understandings that would hinder or even destroy the walk of these believers for whom he is addressing. And the relevance, and the relevance of the truth pen for the early church in Rome so many years ago still stands for us today. The first 11 chapters of Romans, which we don't even have time to even scratch the surface of that, but the first 11 chapters of Romans lays the foundational thinking for the application we now find ourselves landing upon here in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I want to read that two, those two scriptures there once more in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, or as the King James read, your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, actually, of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we speak of holy transformation, there are three things tonight as we look at this passage that I want us to observe and learn. And by God's grace apply as we go from here. The foundation of holy transformation, the formation of holy transformation, and then the fruition 
of holy transformation. So the first thing that I want us to see is the foundation of holy transformation that we see here in verse 1. And Paul, he's just spent so much time teaching to the, to, the, to, the, uh, to the Jews and the Gentiles and the Roman churches there. And he's poured out his heart. He has taught them the things that they need to know when it comes to Christ and their standing in Christ and what that means and how they can live. And so now he's getting to the point of where he's pivoting in, in chapter 12 and he's beginning to talk about personal application here. So with all of this says... Paul begins to, in verse 1, make what I'm calling his passionate appeal to them. So he's taught them all these things. He's taught all these truths to them. And now he, he wants to make this appeal to them when it comes to holiness. And it's very passionate here as we look at it. Very passionate. It's a passionate appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Paul uses the word appeal because it passionately expresses his desire for them to pay attention to what he's about to say. He actually uses this word often when he's talking to other churches and other books that he has written. And he's inviting them. This word appeal means he's inviting them and admonishing, literally begging and encouraging with persuasion and beseeching, but also comforting them all at once. He really wants them to listen to what he's about to say. Then he not only appeals to them, but he also reminds them why he is appealing. And he's appealing to them based upon everything that he's just told them in the preceding chapters. He uses the word, therefore. Anytime you hear a word, therefore, when you're studying scripture, it means pay attention. Everything that I just said, you're going to need to understand that so that you can apply what I'm about to say now. And so it's therefore, when therefore is used in the Bible, it is a reminder and an appeal to remember everything that preceded what was just said because it will emphatically shape your thinking on what is about to be said next. One thing is certain. If you do not understand the foundation that precedes chapter 12, you will not be able to understand the call to holiness in chapter 12 let alone heed the call. Therefore, Paul does something real simple. He gives a short but a profound reminder. So he's given his passionate appeal, and, and as he leads in that, he's, he gives his powerful reminder by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, your soul has been saved. Don't forget it. Therefore, by the mercies of God. It's basically taking everything that he said in the first 11 chapters and he's boiling it down to one statement and he's saying, by the mercies of God. You can do nothing, my friend, my brothers and sisters in Christ, apart from the mercies of God. The phrase, by the mercies of God, is the synopsis of all foundational teaching found in chapter 11. And this is important to remember. That's why I, I repeat this. I want you to turn over with me to, and we'll see this where Paul was talking about it, to Romans 5. Paul's already been expounding on the mercies of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, beautiful phrase, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps... 
For a good person, one will dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I appeal to you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Therefore, everything that I've just said, I'm going to boil it down to this. Don't forget the mercies of God. The mercies of God found in the gospel present the greatest motive for believers to obey the commands of Christ. Every time you hear a message proclaiming God's grace and mercy, and I hope it's often, therefore, therefore, walk and be motivated. And why is this? There is nothing you have done or can do that changes your standing with God in Christ. Our brother Eric talked about this the other night. Our position in Christ does not change. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The gospel is a glorious reality for the believers to be reminded of and to live in because it affirms and reaffirms why and how you are able to obey. I appeal to you. I Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. However, there are misunderstandings when it comes to this section of Scripture. And I've heard them, I've seen them, I've even believed them myself. There is this idea that there are levels and tiers in Christianity, that there is somehow something more than you need to do in order to reach that plateau so you walk in victory and obedience. There are no levels in Christianity. Only growth and personal holiness that reflect Christ and glorifies Him. You will never possess anything more than what you already possess in Christ Jesus. And this next section, when understood properly in the light of the gospel, clarifies this. So, let's go back to chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We hear Paul's passionate appeal. We have his powerful reminder, and now we have his penetrating call. Your soul has been saved. It is affirmed, confirmed in Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation. But your body... There is now the call, your entire being now to be given to God. Paul culminates this thought in this first verse by saying, I appeal to you based on the mercies of God and everything that I've just taught and written to you that you now abandon yourself in obedience to God every day that you draw breath. So when the word present is used here, it means to walk in, in readiness and to place ourselves at the disposal of Christ. Do you get that? The disposal of Christ to literally 
have no desire or selfish, selfish desire of our own, but to give ourselves up to him completely every day, living sacrifice. And what is the ultimate end of this living sacrifice? Spiritual worship. It's interesting because sometimes when we read the passages of Scripture, it's, unless we dig a little bit deeper, unless we do some word studies, we, we can often meet, miss the meaning of what's being taught here. And that's why I think it's important to at least have a little bit of understanding of that and to dig below the surface and, and see what the writer was truly meaning by doing a little bit of word study. And if you look at this word spiritual, in the Greek it's logikos. It literally is reasonable and logical in the light of what we know about the gospel to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God every day that we draw breath. Paul refers to this in Romans 6 when he says, you once presented your bodies to sin and lawlessness. Now you present it in the same way, though, in righteousness. Because the perfect and spotless sacrifice of Christ has been offered on our behalf, we now possess the gospel. There is no need for a high priest to offer sacrifice on our behalf. And he's using Jewish language here. He's referring back to the Old Testament sacrificial system by saying a living sacrifice. And I'm sure the Jews are sitting there going, what in the world is he talking about? Because to them, a sacrifice is an animal, a spotless lamb being placed on the altar. But you see, by the mercies of God, that has been taken care of. And so now what we can do is we can present our bodies as living sacrifices to God each and every day. Before we didn't have that ability, now we now have that ability. And Christ was and is our high priest who is always interceding for us. Therefore, we have been declared priests unto God and can in turn offer our bodies in worshipful response as a living and holy sacrifice to him. Remember from the Old Testament, when the animal sacrifice was given, the whole animal was offered. Our only befitting response to God is to offer the entirety of ourselves to him as a worshipful sacrifice. Worship is not necessarily what we do on Sunday. It is a life that is daily surrendered in obedient service to our loving, merciful, gracious Lord. It's fulfilling the biblical command in Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Or in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are called to a life of worshipful service to our God. Daily sacrifice will remove us out of the way. And every mundane or inciting thing in this life will be a means to fulfill our compelled and reasonable service to the glory of God. The commentator Everett Harrison, which you may not be familiar with, but someone I was reading over the last month, makes a strong statement regarding this. He says, A living sacrifice, whereas the heathen are prone to sacrifice in order to obtain mercy, Biblical faith teaches that the divine mercy provides the basis for the sacrifice as a fitting response. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. But what does a living sacrifice look like? I mean, that's a phrase we use, but I mean, what does that mean? I mean, like, how does that apply to my life every day when I'm going to work? I mean, come on, Daniel, speak my language here. I'm not understanding what you're saying. It may look like, and I don't know your situation, but I know that most of us have similar struggles, so I'll stick with that. It may look like rejoicing in that job you hate. Rejoicing and responding well to hard to get along with co-workers. Contentment with my marital status. Grateful for the dream that has not come to pass. Saying, God, if this brings you glory, so be it. If this is part of your process of becoming more like you in holiness, so be it. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Look at Paul. Shipwrecked. Prison. No family. He knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just blowing smoke. He meant what he said. He lived it. And I'm sure he experienced frustration. Over the last probably, well, it's been a little over a year now, I have been working with a company as a roofing salesman. Uh, I get on roofs every day and I uh, inspect them and try to convince people that they need to buy what I have. And it's a lot of money. Average roof in the United States costs $21,000. So try to convince somebody they need to spend $21,000 they were not expecting to spend. I'm going to tell you right now, I've hated that job. If you've been engaged, you can ask my wife. God bless her. She's put up with complaining. Where I said, I hate this job. But that's not what God's calling us to. And as I've been studying this passage, I'm sitting there going, okay. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There are no levels in Christianity, only growth and personal holiness, as we said, that reflects Christ and glorifies Him. Only a life that lives according to the motivational mercies of God, only a life that looks at this great mercy and says, there is no other reasonable thing to do but to present my entire being to God in daily worship and service to Him because for Him, through Him, and to Him are all things to Him alone be glory. We've seen the foundation. We cannot work and grow in personal holiness and pursue holiness without having that foundation that Paul has laid out there. And so then we move to the formation of holy transformation. We've been challenged by Paul to present. Now it's time to pursue holiness. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God on a daily basis means you will pursue holiness. But how do we pursue and what could possibly hinder us from pursuing? Is there anything that could hinder us? And you said, yes, every day. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about P4C, visit our website at p4csummit.org. 
Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the P4C podcast as we listen to part two of this message. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for his glory each and every day.